Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out wrightfarmhousechurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be the chi- you will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be Mary asked the angel since I am a virgin? The angel answered the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Uh, So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Um, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. At that time, Mary... At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. In the last last week, in the last lesson, we learned we learned four lessons from Zechariah's response to Gabriel, telling him that his prayer of having a child would be granted. We talked about how Zechariah and Elizabeth had been blameless in their service to the Lord. But even so, even so, when Zechariah was being given an answer to his prayer in one of the most spectacular ways, with the A-team, we said the Green Beret angel appearing to him in the Holy of Holies in the temple, Zechariah still hesitated to believe. And the four lessons that we learned were... Being religious does not guarantee a strong faith, that past obedience does not guarantee future faith, that knowledge does not guarantee or equate to faith, and that prayer does not always guarantee a greater faith. And afterwards, uh, I was talking to dad, and, and he had a good thought that I wanted to share. And it's a fifth point that I missed. And I'm sure that there are many, there are many points that I missed because we have countless lessons in these biblical stories. Um, but the point he brought up was that since Zechariah and Elizabeth were older at this time, they may, they may not have prayed for a child uh, in some time because they were past their childbearing years. So it may have been a little while since they last prayed that prayer. Uh, 
So when Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and told him, he told him his prayer, that his, that, that his prayer had been answered, he, uh, Zechariah may, he may have had to take a moment to remember, right? To remember that he had prayed so fervently for a child back when he thought it was possible. He might have been like, what prayer was that, right? And so the fifth point that dad brought up was, was that time doesn't mean anything to God, especially as it means to us. So the fifth point is that we might forget our prayers that we've prayed in the past, but I guarantee God hasn't, right? And, and I, I told dad, I'm going to make sure and point that out because that was a good one that um, we kind of joked about it afterwards saying, but if God, if you don't answer my prayer by April 1st, 2027, can you please negate that prayer? <laughs> like, if I was praying for a child with Colleen, God, when I reach 45, please don't answer that prayer. So, God in his perfect timing, he may choose to bless or he may choose to withhold requests that we make, even, even if we forget them. That, I think, is the lesson, at least it was to me. So, last week I told you a story uh, about how I once gave a Christmas gift of, of footwear to Colleen when we were first married. And it turned out that I definitely, I don't know how to shop for women's footwear. I'm not good at it. I didn't get the response that I thought that I would, uh, from the gift that I gave to her that Christmas. But even when we get the gift wrong, even when we get the gift wrong, we as Christians, we have the right intentions, even if the gift is a little wonky (laughs) as inappropriate footwear. And it reminds us that what we're really talking about is not how we respond to gifts that we get each other, but how we respond to the gift that God gave us in Jesus Christ. How do we respond to what Paul calls, we said, the indescribable gift? So we're looking at the first chapter of Luke. We just read it, where Luke is telling us about the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. Luke has intertwined the stories in such a way that we, we, we have a comparison of John the Baptist and Jesus, but also so that we can compare the response that Zechariah has when he hears that his wife Elizabeth is going to have a child uh, in her old age, and also uh, comparing that response uh, with the response that Mary has when she's told by an angel, the angel Gabriel, that she's going to have a child even though she's not married and is a virgin. So in the last lesson, uh, we talked about Zechariah's response to the news. and he, he and his wife were old, and they were beyond their childbearing years, but Zechariah was a priest uh, with a great spiritual and scriptural knowledge. Okay, he was a person who knew the stories of God, and he was he was at this time he's in the temple when the angel Gabriel appeared to him and told him that he was going to have a child. He and, and his wife Elizabeth, it says, had been praying for a child, like we said, but instead of responding in faith to God's promise through the angel Gabriel, Zechariah didn't believe, doesn't initially believe him. It's important to note that when Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this, right? It says how, to, to Gabriel, the angel, how can I be sure of this? He is asking for more evidence. He is asking for more evidence than what is already being presented there in front of him. He, he asked for more evidence, something, something he could it's like something he could tangibly know so that he could believe what Gabriel was telling him. 
And, and this is important in comparing Zechariah and Mary's responses, because a couple years ago, uh, in this house church, we went uh, through a documentary and a class on why we don't need to present evidence um, to the supposed unbeliever. We don't need to present evidence. Every single person on earth is given the opportunity and gift of faith by God because God wants 1 Timothy 4, 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'm sorry, says God wants all men to come to him and to know the truth. And that every single person on earth is without excuse, Romans chapter 1. And Zechariah should have known this. Zechariah should have known this better than anyone. Even without the New Testament sitting there in front of him, even without that, he should have known that a tangible faith in God is all around him. And that faith does not require things. He knows this. Faith does not require things that we see or that we touch, right? That's not what faith requires. And he should have known that a tangible faith in a miraculous pregnancy doesn't get any more tangible than an angel named Gabriel standing in front of you while you're serving in the most holy place in the temple and for possibly the only time in your life. It doesn't get a whole lot more tangible than that. And yet Zechariah said, I need more evidence of what you're telling me. Seems crazy. So, so now Luke wants us to contrast that with Mary's response in this next section. It's, and it's important to understand that Mary had none of the advantages that Zechariah did. She's a teenage girl living in the middle of nowhere, a nowhere town, like, uh, uh, where did you, where, where did, was grandma born in nowhere, uh, polite, uh, Opelika, Notasolga? If you've heard of Notasolga, it's just the same thing. Nowhere, Alabama, but it wasn't, it wasn't Notasolga or, or, Opelika or something like that. Um, so she doesn't have a high family standing. Um, she doesn't come from this great priestly pedigree that Zechariah had. Um, but when she hears, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me according to your word. Her initial response is nothing more than a momentary confusion. And, and it, would, it would be incorrect to see it as a faithless response. Uh, she says, how can this be? And, and that's a legitimate response coming from her. And one of the reasons we know it is an innocent question and not a challenge of disbelief is because Gabriel the angel responds much differently than he does to Zechariah. He explains to her that by the power of the Most High God, through the Holy Spirit, this thing will happen. And that is enough for Mary. That's enough. That's all she has to hear. Mary surrenders and says, may it be done according to your word. I am your servant. Mary's response, think about this for a second. It's really quite amazing. If, if, if we just meditate it on it for, for just a moment, a young woman whose life, this is it's happened immediately, a young woman whose life and, and future are immediately affected on a much larger scale than I think we normally think about in this story. Just like Zechariah and Elizabeth held this lifelong shame of being barren in their lives. Now, just the inverse is happening to Mary. An unmarried woman who became pregnant in this culture was very shameful. And, and, and the public shame and even the possible stoning of her to death, it was a possibility in that moment for her. Um, and yet Mary says, I am your servant. God's will be done. Think about this for a moment with me. 
Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit, and the immediate response at the beginning of his life is, not my will, but yours be done. And then think about the end of his life. At the very end of this book, at the very end of the book of, of, of Luke, and Jesus himself will go to his death with the statement, not my will, but yours be done. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's, it's an incredible front and back end example of completely removing our will and saying, Lord, today I am your servant. So what Luke is driving at here is that he's trying to get Theophilus, you remember this book is written to this Roman official named Theophilus, he's trying to get him to understand who Jesus is. From Theophilus' point of view, it would be hard to get him to believe that this man Jesus, who had been crucified as a common, just a common criminal, was really an eternal king. Luke was telling Theophilus that Jesus was really the savior of the world, and that Theophilus should follow him with his whole life. Uh, so Luke starts back at the beginning for Theophilus. He starts back at the beginning and he says, let me tell you about how Jesus came about. Luke tells the true story of how the sovereign God over the entire world was at work in the birth of John the Baptist to, to a couple well beyond childbearing years. And he was at work in the birth of Jesus to a woman who had never had a sexual relationship with a man. Not only, not only did Luke want Theophilus and us to see that God was involved in this from the very beginning, but he also wants us to compare, he wants us to compare Jesus and he wants us to compare John the Baptist here. As great as John the Baptist was, Jesus was far greater. John the Baptist was, though, the forerunner, the messenger. And I don't know if you know this. The word angel and messenger in both the Hebrew and the Greek are the same word. Angel and messenger, the same word in those languages. And, and Jesus, Jesus is the king that John the Baptist is messaging. He is announcing. This is, he is messaging this. Luke wants us to compare John the Baptist with Jesus. And the response, also, he wants us to compare the response of Zechariah against the response of Mary at the, at the very beginning of this story. So here we read in verse 45, Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist, she says to Mary, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord's word to her will be fulfilled. She says, she says, Mary, blessed are you because you believed the angel. Um, you believed God's promise. And the implication is that Zechariah and, and by extension herself uh, did not immediately believe God's promise made from Gabriel. What Luke may be trying to, to help us see is that God doesn't necessarily care about your background or your knowledge, your wealth of knowledge. He certainly doesn't care about your religiosity or your religiousness. What he cares about is how you respond to his word, how we respond to his word. What he cares about is whether we center our lives around the attitude of complete service to God no matter what the earthly consequences are. Mary heard the word and she believed and she was blessed because she surrendered to God's plan for her life. Was it confusing to her? Yes, absolutely. It was confusing her. I'm sure it's not exactly how she planned out her life. If she had a plan, it was gone in an instant. It was embarrassing uh, to say that she was pregnant now. To, if she had to go out, that was very embarrassing to go out and say she was pregnant. She knew no one would believe her. And yet she said, may it be done according to your word. I am your servant. 
she surrendered to God's plan for her life because she believed that God was good. It's that simple. She believed that God loved her. It's that simple. She believed that God was in control of her life. It's really that simple. She believed that God's will was better for her own life than her own will was for her own life. Can we say the same? Can I say the same? How do, how do we respond to God's word? Is it like Zechariah? Uh, and maybe we should trust God, but, but we don't, like Zechariah, right? Maybe, maybe we're resistant, or, or do we surrender like Mary did? Do we just surrender like Mary did? Do we open our hearts and say, I trust your wisdom here, God. I trust your wisdom, God. I want your will more than I want my own will. I don't know, I don't know how this all turns out, God. I just don't know. I don't know. But I'll trust you in the process. I will walk with you through this. God has made promises to us. He's made promises, promises that he's never broken, promises that he will work for your good. He promises that he will provide for us. He promises that he will forgive our sins, that he has forgiven our sins. He promises that he will be with you always. He will always be with you. He promises that he will bring meaning and purpose in our lives when we bow to his will and leave and leave ours behind. But do we believe those promises? That's the question. Do we believe those promises like Mary did? Do we surrender to him? That's what he calls you and me to do every single day, to surrender to his will. And that is difficult to do because there will be challenges. There are challenges that are very difficult. But the outcome of our faith is indescribable. Jesus is the indescribable gift. Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you and have a wonderful week.